Um, as I said, everything else is in your bulletin. We do have a Bible study this morning, so Matthew chapter 27, the first book of the New Testament. If you're visiting with us here at Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We've been in Matthew for uh, a while, uh, for over a year, and we're about ready to finish Matthew. We're going to start reading in chapter 27 at verse 32 of Matthew. First book of the New Testament. And again, we're in this section that started in chapter 26, the last hours of Jesus as he's being led to Calvary to be crucified. We looked at the events that have led Jesus to where he's going to hang on that cross for your sins and my sins outside of the holy city of Jerusalem. And as, Father, we come to you this morning, I pray that once again our hearts would be settled in, in, Lord, that we are attentive. We're only going to cover a few verses, but, Lord, as we consider them, I pray they would impact our hearts and lives in a very deep way. That, Lord, I pray we would be ones that are teachable right now, humble before you. And, Lord, uh, that we would remember that our ringers be, need to be off our phones. And, Lord, that we want to be attentive for the next few moments that you're speaking to us through your word. And so, Lord, uh, take it, plant it in our hearts, that it may take root there, and, Lord, produce fruit in our lives. I pray that we would leave this place more in love with you than when we came in. And so, Lord, as we look at the account of the crucifixion, that, Lord, as we see what Jesus did for us, that, Lord, that we are very grateful, forever grateful, that we have forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life and right relationship with you. May we marvel that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ because of his love for us. So we give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we recall in chapter 26 that there's a record there of Jesus with his disciples the night before he would be crucified, he's celebrating Passover with them. And as Jesus is speaking to them, they're still confused on what's going on, even though we know Matthew records several times that Jesus has said to them that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the religious leaders. And I'm going to be executed. I'm going to be put to death. But I'm going to rise again after three days. And as Jesus was in that upper room, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And that would, of course, be Judas. And Peter, you're going to deny, to deny me, not once, but three times. And all of you are going to be made to run away from me on this night. And as they would go to the garden there, that Judas the betrayer would lead a detachment of troops into the garden to have Jesus bound up and arrested and led back to Jerusalem to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And Jesus there would stand before this council called the Sanhedrin, made up of 70 members of Pharisees and Sadducees, presided over by the official high priest Caiaphas that year. And it was at that time that Matthew chapter 26 tells us that they condemned Jesus to death, saying that he had committed blasphemy because he was asked, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus responded by saying, It is as you said. And it was at that time that they spat on him in his face. They beat him, putting a bag over his head. And they mocked him as they, they beat him, saying, Prophesy, who hit you? 
the physical sufferings of Jesus really beginning at that time. And we know that as that's taking place, Peter's out in the courtyard of Caiaphas, and he's cursing and he's swearing, and not once but three times he denies the Lord. And we left Peter, he would leave that scene, as another gospel tells us, that the doors of Caiaphas open up and there's Jesus, and he looked at Peter. And Peter, as he saw the Lord, black and blue and, and beaten, that he began to weep very deeply, and he runs off. And that's the last that we've seen of Peter, but we will see him again. And so Jesus at that time would be taken the next morning over to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. The governor knows that the religious leaders have envy and jealousy towards Jesus. We read that last week, and that Jesus was an innocent man. Pilate declared publicly that there is no fault in him. And instead of freeing Jesus, he gave him to the voices of the crowds that were crying out, crucify him. And Pilate, he would say to them, why, what evil has he done? But as the religious leaders are stirring up the crowds, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us, crucify him, away with him. And so away he went. And we left off with Jesus being scourged and beaten by the Romans. We talked about how Isaiah the prophet would speak of that 700 years before it happened. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, that I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. And I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. In chapter 52, verse 14, that his appearance was marred more than any man. In chapter 53, verse 7, that he was as the lamb that was led to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears is silence. That's why we see in John's account in chapter 19, verse 5, that after the scourging and the beating of Jesus by the Romans, that Pilate, that he would say to the crowds, Behold the man. Look at him. He's unrecognizable. Look what they have done to him. And he was afraid of the crowd and giving in to the voice of the crowd. And so that's what we have seen as we left off at verse 32 last time in Matthew chapter 27. And we read at verse 32, Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull. Jesus is led away to be crucified as we see in verse 31. He would bear his cross, as John's gospel tells us, and Luke informs us, that a large multitude would follow him. And he would walk down the narrow streets of Jerusalem, going out of the city, is what we are told by the gospel writers. It is believed that customarily there would be two soldiers that would be out in front. And usually what would happen is one of the soldiers would be crying out the crime of the individual, the condemned individual, that was done to put fear into the people. But we know that Jesus, he wasn't condemned for any crime. That Pilate said there's no fault in him. So probably what has taken place is we know that the gospel writers tell us that above Jesus where he hung on that cross, there was a sign, King of the Jews. And so he's probably one of the soldiers carrying that sign in front of Jesus. Jesus would be in the middle and carrying the crossbar that he would hang upon. 
and then uh, probably another couple soldiers that are behind him. And Jesus, being beaten by the religious council, up all night, being scourged with that, that cat of nine tails by the Romans, as he was beaten, that crown of thorns that was pounded on his head, that would lacerate his scalp, the loss of blood, being beaten beyond recognition, they, eventually he would collapse. And as we read that they had come to a place called Golgotha, Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue, is Calvarian in the Latin, which means Calvary, is the place of the skull. It was on top of Mount Moriah. It's where Solomon had done his quarries and building stones for the temple. And on the north-facing slope of, of it, there was, out of the cutting of, of the quarry, there's a face of a skull that you can see remnants of it even today. And that's where they would lead him. It's a remarkable scene here as Jesus is led down the Via Della Rosa. There is a multitude of people lining the streets. Remember that this is Passover. The city is very, very crowded. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are coming into the city. And he, as I said, would carry that crossbeam that he would hang upon. And in that crowd, Luke tells us that there are women who mourned and they lamented for him and in his sufferings. He would respond to them by saying, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, because the day is going to come when they will cry out to the mountains and hills, fall on us, cover us. And, of course, Jesus making reference of that time that would take place about 38 years later that the Roman general Titus Vespasian and the Roman legions surrounded Jerusalem. They would break through the city wall of Jerusalem. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, records that there was 1.1 million Jews killed at that time. That blood flowed through the streets of Jerusalem and nearly 100,000 would be taken away as slaves back to Rome. And as we come to this place, Calvary, Golgotha, it is a place of execution. As I said, it was on top of Mount Moriah. It's the same place that 2,000 years prior to this that we read in Genesis chapter 22. It tells us that Abraham, you are to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. And so Abraham takes his son. He puts the, the wood of the sacrifice on Isaac's back. He has a knife in one hand and a torch in another. And they walk up that mount together. As Isaac would say to his father, that you have the knife, you have the torch, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham would respond to him and say, that God will provide himself as a sacrifice. And as most of you know the story, how when Abraham was going to plunge that knife into his son Isaac, laid on that altar, that the Lord said that Abraham, stop, stop. Now I know that you fear God. And Abraham ended up calling that place the Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord that it shall be provided. And two millenniums later, here is God's only son, whom he loved, walking up that exact same hill with the wood of the sacrifice on his back. And this time there's no stopping it. Because God is providing the Lamb of God to provide for you and for me, for our forgiveness and our salvation. It was only about three weeks ago that we were celebrating Christmas. And as we did, of course, in Matthew chapter 1, 
that, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, the Lord thy salvation. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And that's why he came. He's doing that right now as we're reading this account for our salvation and our forgiveness. It is found here where the Lord provided at this place called Golgotha. It's called Calvary. Most of us, we know the scene here. There are two criminals that are also led to that place, Calvary, and they are crucified with Jesus, one on the right side and one on the left. Luke tells us more about those two in his account of the crucifixion. But there is one individual that we read about here that I carefully want to look at in this whole scene. And that is in verse 32, as we read it again, Jesus being led away to be crucified. And now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. We know that Luke tells us, as you read this account, that they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, that is, he's coming into the city, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Simon of Cyrene. All of the synoptic gospels mention him. Cyrene is the modern-day city of Tripoli in Libya in northern Africa. There was a strong Hellenistic Jewish community in Cyrene from the time of Alexander the Great until this time that Jesus is being crucified. The Jews there were generally wealthy. They were involved in trade. And Simon, no doubt, is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And this may have been once-in-a-lifetime journey for him. You see, traveling back then was very difficult. It was very hard. It was very dangerous. And it was very expensive. So to go from Cyrene, northern Africa, to Israel... You could go two different ways. You can go 700 miles, a journey by sea, from Cyrene to Joppa in Israel. There's a port there. We read about Joppa, mentioned several times in the scripture. Remember that it was Jonah in the Old Testament. He was told to go to Nineveh. What does he do? He goes over to the coast, to Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and he goes the opposite direction. He wants to go to Tarsus. We also know that in the Old Testament that Joppa is mentioned that when they're building the first temple, Solomon's temple, that Solomon, according to 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, that he had 30,000 men that would rotate and they would go up to Tyre and Sidon and they would cut the cedar trees there, float the timbers down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to the seaport of Joppa. And then from Joppa, they would go 50 miles up to Jerusalem to build the temple there, the first temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, Joppa is mentioned as Peter's there. He has that vision in Acts chapter 10, that sheet with all the different animals, and arise and eat, Peter. And it was Cornelius, the centurion just north of there, that sent his men to ask for Peter. And Peter went to Caesarea. He ministered, gave the gospel there to Cornelius and his family, Cornelius the centurion. And that's where the gospel really began, right there to the Gentiles at that time. But Peter was in Joppa when he received that vision from the Lord. Many Jews, as they're coming from afar, they were afraid to sail. And the reason they were is, is because they had good reason. I mean, would you get into a wooden boat 2,000 years ago? 
even if the captain was saying, you have nothing to worry about. You know, boats sank oftentimes. And I say that because Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, by the time he writes that letter, he says, I was shipwrecked three times and a day and a night floating in the sea. And we know that after that, when you read the end of the book of Acts, what happens to Paul? He's on his way to Rome. He's in a storm there in the Mediterranean Sea, and the boat falls apart, and he washes up on the island Malta. So would you get in a boat and go 700 miles to Joppa? Or the other way was you travel 1,000 miles by land, which again, which would be dangerous and difficult. Can you imagine if you left today to walk to Southern California? We know that the Cyrenians had a synagogue in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, that among the crowd was Cyrenians. In Acts chapter 6, verse 9, it tells us that those at the synagogue of the freemen, Cy Cyrenians, disputing with Stephen the deacon. Remember Stephen the deacon, the first uh, recorded martyr for his faith in Jesus Christ stoned there in Jerusalem. When you go to Acts chapter 11, when persecution was spreading in Jerusalem and Judea, that some of the men from Cyrene went as far as Antioch. Antioch in Syria, that's where the, the headquarters was in the very early days of the church of the Gentiles where revival would break out and the gospel would spread from there. And when you go to Acts chapter 13, when the prophets and teachers of the church are praying, ministering to the Lord, and they're ready to send Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey, there was listed there those men. One was Simeon of Niger. Niger is Latin in, for black, no doubt a black man from northern Africa, and he is with Lucius of Cyrene. And there are some Bible commentators that have suggested that Simeon there is the same Simon that is listed here in Matthew chapter 27, also in Luke and Mark's gospel, carrying the cross of Jesus. We do know this, that Mark, who writes his gospel in Rome, mentions Mark chapter 15, verse 21. And they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So it, it is believed that Alexander and Rufus are well known in the early church. It's like Mark is saying, Simon of Cyrene, you know the father of Alexander and Rufus? You know these guys. You know his sons. And in John's gospel, he is writing during a time of persecution. You remember that last year, or last week, that is, that I mentioned that Domitian, the emperor at the end of the first century, that he's persecuting the Christians. He hated Christians. He is feeding Christians to the lions. He's burning them at the stake. So John doesn't mention Simon's family, perhaps to protect them. Now, church tradition tells us that Simon's son, Alexander, was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. In 1941, before Israel becomes a nation, that archaeologists are digging on the southern end of the Kidron Valley, just right across from where the city of David was. Some of us have been in that area. It wasn't written until 1964, but they found this, this large tomb of Cyrenian Jews and one of the ostiaries. Ostiary is just a box that when the body decayed, they put, decayed, they put the bones of the body in that box. 
and they found a box uh, that was longer than the others, and on both sides of the ossuary of that box was an inscription, Alexander, the son of Simon. In Romans chapter 16, when Paul ended that epistle by greeting 26 different individuals, in verse 13 he writes, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. The wife of Simon is mentioned there. He had such a, a admiration and admired her and respected her and loved her that he says, it's not only your mother, you know, Rufus' mother, but she's my mother. He had a deep love for her and respect and special relationship with her. So as we look at all of this, this is such an amazing story. It's an incredible account given to us here. Here's a man who is in northern Africa, is going to go to this Passover, travels all this way to Jerusalem, probably so excited. When they would come up to Jerusalem for, from either end, where you're coming from, for whatever direction, you would go up to Jerusalem. And as they did that, they would sing the songs of the ascents in Psalm 120 to 134. And I imagine he, Simon, is, is singing that psalm, Psalm 122, that as they came into Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And our feet have been standing within our gates, O Jerusalem. And when he comes into Jerusalem, God has a divine appointment for him with Jesus. Mark tells us that Jesus is crucified at the third hour. It's in the morning. Simon is coming out of the country. He's coming from the countryside. In other words, as he's coming from the countryside, coming into the city, as many were, there was no room in the city for them to stay, so many people would camp outside in the hillsides of Jerusalem because, again, the city is very, very crowded. Here, Matthew says that Jesus in this procession is going out of the city. It's a big day. He's excited. He's probably coming in to get some food. And he is met by this large crowd that's coming out of the city. Women are lamenting. I picture a centurion there, probably on a horse, perhaps leading, perhaps leading this procession, trying to move people out of the way, cleared away so they can get through. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all that, there's one that is beaten beyond recognition, carrying a cross. And he's so beaten, he collapsed right in front of Simon. Now, sometimes we can read this and we think, oh, it would have been so cool to be Simon at this time. We think, I would have loved to have been the one who carried Jesus' cross, the one person in all of human history to do this. But you've got to look at it from Simon's perspective. He's come all this way, this long travel, it's hard, it's difficult, it's expensive. He wants to celebrate Passover. That's why he came. He comes out of the country, into the city. This procession is going out of the city, and there are women that are lamenting. There's a huge crowd that is there. He's probably thinking as he sees Jesus in the midst of that procession, Roman soldiers, that those Romans, they're so cruel. I mean, look what they did to that man. He's unrecognizable. And then all of a sudden, Simon is in the middle of this somehow. 
and he sees Jesus collapse. And then he feels the tip of the spear from one of the Roman soldiers. He would feel it on his shoulder. You, you carry this man's cross. And if a Roman soldier put the tip of his spear or sword on your shoulder and told you to carry his pack or carry his burden, you had to do it for up to a mile. And when this happens to Simon, he knows that he's compelled to do it or he's going to be arrested. He's going to be thrown in jail or in prison. He can experience serious repercussions because of it and consequences. They were familiar with this. Jesus said, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, that if they compel you to go one mile, then you are to go two. And now Simon has to get under that cross, and it means that Jesus' blood is going to be on him, which will mean that he is defiled so that he cannot celebrate Passover. That's why he came. He knows that the Old Testament scripture says, curses anyone who hangs on a tree. He is humiliated. And he is probably thinking, why me? God, why me? I spent all of this time and money to come here to celebrate your feast, and this is what happens, and now I miss Passover. But here's the thing. He was closer to Passover than any other man that had ever lived. He was closer to the Passover than Moses. He was closer to the Passover than any priest in the temple precincts. He was closer to the Passover than any worshiper that came to Jerusalem because he was face to face with the Passover Lamb of God. And something very incredible begins to happen, I think in a very beautiful way. In all of this ugliness and all of this confusion, as Simon reached for that cross, they carried Jesus' cross. I just suspect that Simon looked into those eyes of love from this man that was marred more than any other man, Isaiah writes. And something begins to happen in his heart. Even though Simon does not understand that he is in the epicenter of God's eternal plan of salvation and he carries Jesus' cross through the Damascus Gate up to that place that they call Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull, a place of execution. It was a terrible, horrible place. People stayed away from it. It had the stench of death this large crowd behind him. And when they get there, I imagine one of the soldiers harshly pushes Simon aside and they nail Jesus to that cross and sliding the the cross into the socket, slam! And he would cry out in pain. They pierce my hands and my feet And all of my bones are out of joint, David writes in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus is crucified. And I think that Simon stayed to watch all of this as he heard the words of our Lord, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Absolutely incredible. Jesus would say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. 
And what is going on in Simon's mind and what's going on in his heart, I think it's, it's absolutely amazing. He is hearing the sayings of Jesus, and then at noon, the sun goes dark for three hours. And then Jesus, out of the darkness, he cries out, It is finished. Te telestai. And then there's a great earthquake. And Simon begins to realize that something huge is going on here, that Rome is not in control. Rome cannot make the sun go dark. Rome cannot cause an earthquake. Why do we take our time looking at Simon? Because I want you to know this. Because this is not the end of the story for Simon. It's just the beginning. Because listen, Simon wouldn't just carry the cross of Jesus to Calvary to Golgotha, but he would carry his cross to his home, back to Cyrene. He carried his cross into his home, into his marriage, into his kids' lives, and into his service to God. So much so that he's known in the early church. One of his sons becomes the bishop in Spain, and one becomes a martyr for Jesus Christ. He carries his cross a thousand miles back home, and he tells his wife when he gets to her, I just can hear him saying, you won't believe what happened when I was in Jerusalem. His boys who are young at that time, he sits them on his lap and he says, let me tell you about this Jesus. I carried his cross. I looked into his eyes. The sun went dark. And the earth shook. And then he cried out, it is finished. And they put him into a tomb. And he rose after three days. And we read this, and many of us, again, perhaps we would think, I would have loved to have carried his cross. I would have loved to have been in his situation at that time. We romanticize it. Maybe it's just me as I consider all this. But I need to remember this in all of us, that Simon carried that cross for the rest of his life. And you and I are called to do the same thing. To look at our Savior and deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. Here is Simon of Cyrene that comes into the city of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden this procession is coming at him in a huge crowd. And he finds himself in the midst of that crowd. And a man beaten like no one has ever been beaten falls right in front of him. And then the tip of the spear is laid on his shoulder. And Simon had to do something that he did not want to do. None of us get to do what Simon did in the physical sense. In all of human history, God chose him to carry Jesus cross to Calvary. But you are the only one that can carry your cross for Christ. Dying to self and following him daily. A crossless Christianity doesn't change anyone or anything. 
A crossless Christianity doesn't change anyone or anything. And as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. He has a path for you and he has a plan for you. The question is, are we willing to humble ourselves and to do what our flesh doesn't want to do? And that is to die to self. You die to your thing and you carry your cross. Husbands, you carry your cross into your marriage. You love your wife as Christ loves the church. You live with her in an understanding way. You serve her and you cherish her. Does your wife lay the tip of the spear on your shoulder and say, will you lead us? Will you lead me and the kids spiritually? Are you willing to do that? Do you carry your cross when it comes to your children? That guys, do you say to your family, to your wife, to your kids, you to your grandkids, that I prayed for you today. I brought you before Jesus because he loves you so much. And I love you too. Do you carry your cross when it comes to ministering to others in your life, to other family members, to your workplace, in your neighborhood, to those who are linked to you in your life? Do you carry your cross telling people and showing people that you love the Lord And it shows in your conduct and in your speech and in your behavior, in your faith, in your purity. And if you have difficulty surrendering to him, then go and sit at the foot of the cross this week, this new year, and see his love for you. And to know that he wants to do so much in your life to make your life count for him. Carrying the cross in your home, in your marriage, to your kids, to others, whatever state that you're in. You are the only one that can carry your cross in your life, putting yourself to death. Listen, guys, don't ignore your family. And I know that none of us want to do that. Don't ignore them. Giving them up to social media and thinking that the politicians are going to fix everything and they're the answer. You and me are going to change things in our home and in our workplace and in others' lives as we say, as Paul said, I boast in Christ crucified. And Lord, I'm willing to deny myself and pick up my cross and follow after you. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull, where he was crucified for you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this few verses that speak to us in such a powerful way. And, Lord, for all of us to pick up our cross and to follow after you. To know that we're the only ones that can do that. To die to our thing and to ourself. And Lord, to live for others as we live for you. Oh Lord, I thank you for this example 2,000 years ago, Simon. 
but knowing that we were created at this time for you and for your purposes and for your plan. Do you desire for us to have a life that has real purpose to help us be the men and women of God that you've called us to be? And I pray this morning for anyone who's here, maybe listening, that you've never given your life to Jesus. It all starts there. You can't do this on your own. It is coming to the cross and realizing you need to be forgiven of sin because we've all sinned. That Jesus did pay it all. That he is alive as he was put into that tomb and he rose again. He's the only one that died for you and conquered sin and death, proving and validating he's the son of God. Will you come to him for salvation, forgiveness of sin? right relationship with the Father. It is found in Jesus alone and faith in Him. He says, come. And you can call out to Jesus right now sincerely in your heart because today is the day of salvation. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you. And I ask that you would forgive me a sinner of my sins. And I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. Your lives and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to pick up my cross and follow you and know you and to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. For all of us. Lord, that we would look to you and to your love. Help us be the men and women of God that you called us to be, to die to self, to know you and walk with you, knowing that you have a, a plan for us and we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, to be a light to others, to love our spouses and our kids and our grandkids and others. Thank you, Lord, that we can be encouraged in you this morning and for your love for us. Lord, I do pray for healing for those who are just so many suffering from sickness or from COVID. And I pray for quick recovery. And Lord, that we can all get through this. And But I do know this, that no pandemic or no persecution whatever we're going through it is not going to stop you from working and it's not going to stop the gospel from going forth you are faithful so Lord help us to hide under the shadow of your wings you're our protector and our provider may we leave this place not only trusting in you but resting in your love Bless everyone here as we go our way now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand? And we are here to pray with you. If anybody 